we have been doing a series of lessons uh, through the month of November t- called uh, It's Time to Get Intentional as part of our bigger series, As You Go. And we, we began the month by just taking an honest look to where Christianity is in America today. You know, what, what has happened to those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ? And we noted just this steep, steep decline that's taken place. Uh, I was at a family reunion down in Mississippi yesterday, and I was talking to one of my cousins, and I asked him, I said, how's things at church? And he said, well, as you know, you know, people just keep moving away, and less and less people are moving into the area, and the church, you know, keeps dropping at one time, about 180 at the Chapman Church of Christ, and he says, you know, we just kind of continue to get older as a church, and I said, "I, I can understand that. Talk to another cousin, and she lives down in Houston, Texas, and I says, tell me about the church you attend. And she said, well, it used to be a church of 800. Today we're a church of 200, and, and we're still struggling to try to find, you know, how in the world do we turn this around? And I thought, wow, you know, just basically backs up what we've been talking about this whole month. And, and so last week we began to talk about How do we make a difference? What do we need to do if we're going to change what's happening to Christianity today? And I offered four uh, things that we need to do. And I want to begin by going to number four. We must reclaim the Great Commission with intentionality. And that word intentionality is intentional. Pardon the pun, okay? But we've got to get serious about the Great Commission. And of course, in addition to that, we have got to create a church that is a loving, friendly, and welcoming family of believers. Now, now let me help you understand what I mean by that. If I were to ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, how friendly is the Hendersonville Church of Christ? And of course, the answer to that question is how long you've been here. Right? If you grew up here, it's a friendly church. You know everybody. If you're new here, you're like, ah, I don't know. But, but let me explain what we need to do as a church. If you're, let, let's say the average number we guess is a 6. We're, we're on a scale of 1 to 10. We're a 6 when it comes to friendliness. We need to be a 15. You say it's a scale of 1 to 10. You get the point. We need to be a church that is so friendly, no one can walk out of here and say, wow, that's an unfriendly church. I mean, whatever that church is, they are a friendly church. That's what we need to be. And I hope you'll help me work toward achieving that. Now, last week I ended the lesson by talking about how do we learn a skill? Because what I'm urging us to do is learn how to talk about Jesus naturally. And I used the example of learning how to type, okay? And and so when you learn how to type, I remember the first time walking into typing class, I think it was the ninth grade, and I sat down behind a royal typewriter and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was what's called unconscious incapable, all right? I mean, I didn't know why the keys were where they were, and I didn't know, you know, how to, how to punch the keys. I didn't even know, you know, how to move the paint. I didn't know anything. And, of course, over that semester, uh, I was taught next to be consciously incapable. In other words, she began to explain what we were going to be learning. I still couldn't do it, but at least I was aware of what I couldn't do. And then you become conscious capable. I don't know if you've ever learned a new computer program. 
I have people all the time that say, Les, you do genealogy, right? Yes. Do you know about Ancestry.com? Yes. I use it all the time. Well, I've got a membership to it, and I cannot figure it out. And my response is always, good luck. <laughs> Actually, I say to them, come down to my office, tell me what's giving you problems. And as I'm sitting there operating with Ancestry.com, they'll go, whoa, 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 slow down. What keys did you just hit? And I go, I don't know. Why? Because I've used it so much, I am now unconsciously capable. In other words, I just sit down and start hitting keys. I don't know what keys I'm hitting. I just know they accomplish what I'm trying to do. And, and of course, that's what we need to do spiritually, is we need to be people who, I mean, are you aware you just talked to that person about Jesus? Oh, did I? Wow, no, I didn't even know I did that. That's what it's meant by unconsciously capable. You just do it because it's natural. Therefore, as you go, as you go, talk about Jesus. That's what Jesus said. As you go, make disciples for me. And it needs to be just a natural process of uh, who you are. And last week I mentioned how that you cannot practice the Great Commission without first practicing the Great Commandment. If you don't love God, if you don't love Jesus, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to have a hard time being a disciple maker. It's that simple. And so it may be that you need to start right here and work on your love relationship with God and then move there to being someone who shares him with others. And so how do we empower the person in the pew? How do we empower you? How do we empower you to go out and make disciples who make disciples? Now, in order to understand how we need to do this, we need, first of all, let, let me use an illustration from, from television. June and I love watching these home makeovers. I don't know if you've ever done that, but uh, a couple of years ago, Stan and Cheryl, by the way, Stan, happy birthday. Uh, Stan is today 95 years old. He looks great. Thank you. But happy birthday. But we went with them to Waco, Texas, to where Magnolia is, which is owned by uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. And part of our time there was driving around looking at houses that they had renovated. And so you know how this works. You'll see a house like this. It, I mean, I don't know. I looked at this house, and I thought it looks great. But they look at it going, no, it needs updating. And so the next thing you know, this house becomes this house. And you're like, wow. And, and of course, the problem with me and June in something like this is neither one of us has an eye for makeovers. I mean, it's kind of like, hey, what would you like to do here at the house? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to do here at the house? And she's like, I don't know. I guess we could change the blinds. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that'll help. You know, we, we just have a hard time with this. And so we have to invite people in to kind of have an eye for makeover. But what I love about any time you see one of these taking place, you know the first thing they do? You ever notice that? I mean, the very first thing they do is they go in this house with sledgehammers and, and, and crowbars, and they start tearing everything out. I mean, they go in the bathroom, they start hitting stuff and breaking stuff. They, they go into the kitchen and tear down perfectly good cabinets. I mean, rip them off the walls. I'm like, save them, please, you know. I mean, they go in and they deconstruct. And then once everything's cleaned out, they can start constructing what they want it to be. Spiritually, we're the same way. We sometimes, before we can construct what we want to be, 
we've got to deconstruct what we've become. And let me tell you what the church has become over the last 50 years is, is, is people who have allowed Satan, and, and I'm right here in the midst of you as a minister, we've allowed Satan to come in and convince us that, you know, there are reasons why we're not growing. And, and they're legitimate reasons. And, and these are called the schemes of Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talks about the fact that Satan has a plan. And it's a plan to keep the church from growing. And he sows it among God's people. Ideas and concepts and beliefs. And he says, boy, if I could just get the members of the church believing that they can't grow, then they won't grow. Paul says, we are not unaware of his schemes. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God so that you could take your stand against the devil's, devil's schemes. And, and here's the schemes he's been sowing for the last 50 years. Number one, it's somebody else's job. Disciple-making is the preacher's job. Disciple that's what we pay him to do. It's the elder's job. That's why they became elders. It's, it's the Bible teacher's job. Now, is that true? Yes, to a degree it is. I mean, you turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, and he gave the apostles and the prophets who gave us the Scripture. It's where we get our Bibles from. The New Testament was written by apostles and prophets. And then he gave us evangelists, people who share the good news, Shepherds or elders or, or, or overseers and teachers. But notice what he does. Why does he give us those gifts? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, it's not to do the work of ministry. Yes, they do their share of it. But it's to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. For the growth of the church of our Lord. And so the first thing we need to realize is that ministry is a job of all of us. Now, are some of us in positions to lead that, you know, different than others? Yes. I tell people all the time, I've wanted to preach ever since I was 12 years old. 12 years old. I remember coming home, living in Frankfort, Kentucky, and, and saying to my little brother, come on, we're going to go upstairs and we're going to have a church service. Just me and him. And I had one response that morning, all right? He was five, but he came forward. I made him, okay? That's what you can do when you're a big brother. But seriously, I've wanted to preach all of my life. There are those who are natural at being shepherds of the church. or Tons of you are involved in teaching our classes, all, all the way from the smallest of our children to the oldest of our adults. I mean, we're blessed with people like that. But we need to realize that the whole role is to equip the whole body to do the work of Jesus Christ. Number two, I don't know what to say, and I don't know the answers to a lot of questions. A lot of people, when it comes to sharing their faith, are like, I mean, I don't know where I would begin. Let me give you the simplest of answers on that. There's a story found in the Bible in Mark chapter 5 of where Jesus is going across the Sea of Galilee, and as he's approaching the shore, a man who is living among tombs of all crazy things. He's living in a cemetery. He sees Jesus, and this man is demon-possessed. It's one of the saddest stories in all of Scripture. And, and he comes running toward Jesus, and, and Jesus eventually casts the demons out of the man. It's where he throws them into the pigs, and the pigs run down the banks and are drowned in the Sea of Galilee. And as a result of this whole story, the people in that area come out there and they're like, you've got to leave. You've cost us a lot of money. 
And so as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Here's a man who's lived in this community, just cost somebody 2,000 pigs, who's known for being demon-possessed, being, being psychologically crazy, and he doesn't want to stay there. And Jesus says, I need you to stay here. In fact, here's what I need you to do. Notice what he says. Jesus did not let him. No, you can't get in the boat. And then look at what he says. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, which is ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. What did Jesus tell him to do? He said, just tell your story. Tell your story. And if you're a child of God, you have a story. Tell it. You know, mine's a boring story. I've oftentimes had people tell me, Les, you need to go out there and do something really bad. You'd have a whole lot better story to tell. I'm serious. I've had people tell me that. Because, you see, my story begins way back in like the 1930s when my great-grandfather went to a Brush Arbor Gospel meeting being held there in North Mississippi. And he came home to my my great-grandmother Mary and said, Mary, I heard a man today teach closer to the Bible than I've ever heard. We need to go and hear him. And the end result is they were baptized. Many others in the community were baptized. And they, they restarted a church that used to have been in the area called Bethel Church of Christ. They restarted it and renamed it Chapman Church of Christ. Sounds real familiar to me. My granddad became one of the first elders. It was there in that church in 1952 that my mom and dad went forward during a gospel meeting, both of them, to be baptized into Christ. Had to drive into Ripley in order to baptize them because Chapman Church was so small, they didn't have a baptistry. And and so they drove into town, and there mom and dad were baptized. And then mom and dad set out to raise me and my my siblings in in the faith, and, and they did, and June and I have tried to pass it down to our kids who are active in the church, and, and we're now praying for our grandkids and some little girls one day who hopefully will marry them, and they too will continue to pass the faith down. It's not that exciting of a story, but it's my story, it's June's story. And you know what? It's a story that we're glad we're a part of. You have a story. Simply tell your story. How did you come to know Jesus? Number three, I'm uncomfortable around. I get it. I mean, when you begin to think about making disciples of people, you think, man, there's a lot of people out there. I don't know if I want to hang around with them. I still remember the first time I went to River Bend. I've been going to River Bend now for eight years, every week. And I remember the first time was to hand out Christmas presents it was, the, it was December of, of 2015. And we met in the chapel, and of course, as you would go through, and they would shut those gates behind you. Boom. 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 And, and, and we went down into the chapel, and, and they divided us up. They said, okay, this, this side over here, y'all going to go to building number five. This side over here, you're going to go to building number six. They have different names of buildings down there, numbers of, of buildings. And, and so, so I, I got to go down to, to building number, number five, and, and I got 
or six, it was six. I got down to six, and when I got down there, they said, okay, find, find a floor. There's two floors there. Just go either upstairs or downstairs. Find a cell and just stand in front of it. The gifts were already there. We were handing out Christmas presents. And so I go upstairs. I thought, I'll go upstairs. I start walking. Their names are on the side of the doors. And I came across a door that said Chapman on it. And I thought, got to be related. Got to be one of my kin folks. By the way, Josh Chapman was in church last Sunday when I preached out there eight years ago. I mean, every time I go to River Bend, I think, except for the grace of God, I could be here. It's that simple. The Apostle Paul, when he would write to Timothy, he would say, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here's what, look at what Paul says, of whom I am worse. I am a sinner. Brothers and sisters, we all are. If your thought is, I'm not comfortable around these people. Guess what? They're not comfortable around you. I mean, that's just the way the world is. But I can't allow my discomfort to keep me from going into places that need to hear the story of Jesus, that needs to hear your story. I mean, we need to be people who say, you know what? With the help of Jesus Christ, I can do this. Number four, I don't have the time. You don't not have the time, brothers and sisters. Y'all remember the song, Cats in the Cradle? You, you got to be old like me to remember that song. It's a story about a man who's, you know, raising his son, and every time he'd come home, his son would say, Dad, would you pitch ball with me? Well, son, I would love to, but I don't have time. Dad, would you do this with me? Well, son, you know I'd love to, but I don't have time. And then finally his son got married, and he calls up his son at the end of the song, and he says, Dad, uh, excuse me, son, I'm, I'm in the area. I thought maybe we could catch lunch. And the son says, well, Dad, I would love to, but... But, you know, I've got the sun here, and I've got this right here, and my job's busy, and I just don't have the time. And the song ends by saying, I realized that my son had grown up just like me. No time. Sad song. Tragic song. Because of all the priorities we have, there's no greater priority than to tell the story of Jesus. And then I don't know any non-Christians. I'll take you to River Bend with me. Let's just go. There's plenty out there. By the way, if you don't know any non-Christians, it's time to get out a little bit more. You know, get a, get a membership at the Y or at Planet Fitness. You know, I mean, just, just get out in the community. They're there, I promise you. And so where do we start? How do we do this? Let me show you how easy it is. John chapter 4 tells the story of Jesus as he's traveling from Judea up to Galilee. And the text begins by saying now he had to go through Samaria. Now if you know anything about where Jesus is going on the map, Samaria was just north of Judea, just south of Galilee. And, and Samaria was, was populated by half-Jew, half-Gentiles who hated the full-blooded Jews as much as the full-blooded Jews hated the Samaritans. And so the average person would go to the right side of the Jordan. You see the little dotted line going up through there. They would go and cross on the eastern side of the Jordan to keep from going through Samaria. That's what the average Jew did. But John said, for some reason, Jesus said, we have to go through Samaria. 
And so they headed north to Samaria, and they come to an area very familiar in Old Testament. Rodney could lecture all day on this right here. This is where Shechem, ancient Shechem was. It's also where Sychar, the little village, was. Jacob's well was here. You've got Mount Gerizim on one side, Mount Ebal on the other, the Mount of Blessing and the Mount of Cursing. This was a very significant place in the Old Testament. But now it's Samaria. And Jesus is basically traveling from the left to the right, okay? In other words, if you went between the two mountains, you'd hit the Mediterranean. But if you travel from the left to the right, you're going north toward Galilee. That's where he's going. He's going up that valley, and he stops there at a well, Jacob's well, going all the way back to the book of Genesis. And it's the middle of the day. The disciples have gone into Sychar to get some food to eat, and Jesus is resting. When a woman comes up to draw water at noon, Okay, if you're familiar at all with ancient customs, you drew water early in the morning, you drew water late in the afternoon, and you drew water in the middle of the day if you didn't want to talk to anybody. Okay? And you can almost see this woman as she's approaching the well, and she looks up and she's like, oh, no, somebody's at the well. I hope I don't know him. I hope he doesn't know me. And so she's walking toward it, and then she notices, okay, whew, it's a Jew. You know, he's not going to know me. And for her, it's simply a happenstance. I mean, it's just happening. For Jesus, it is meticulously planned out. Jesus had to go this way because he had to meet this woman, because this woman had to come to know who he was, who would then spread it to the entire village. I mean, you, you, you go and watch how the Chosen has dealt with this. It's fantastic. Beautiful episode. In fact, a couple of different episodes on this story. So when the Samaritan came to draw water, Jesus said, will you give me a drink? And boy, you thought you could cut the tensions with a knife. First of all, men didn't talk to women who were not their wives in public. That was just the, the custom of that area at that time. Secondly, you would have never spoken to a Samaritan. Samaritans, if you're Jewish, are beneath you. You don't speak to a Samaritan. And and, and then here's this woman, and she's like, you've got to be kidding me. You, you, You want a drink of water. And again, realize, she doesn't know what's going on. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. And so Jesus initiates an intentional conversation. The first step to sharing the story of Jesus, you got to talk to people. you got to introduce yourself to people. I, I don't know about you, and I, I, and I get it. If you're an introvert, that's hard to do. I get it. Uh, if you're an extrovert, man, alive. John Micah is the biggest extrovert I've ever seen. This guy, I used to take him visiting with me. We'd get in the elevator, and by the time we got off... He knew everybody on the elevator, where they lived, what they did for a living, and who they were visiting. I'm like, John, elevator etiquette is get on, door shuts, you don't say a word until you get off, right? I mean, that's the way you ride an elevator. You might say, could you punch button five? Okay? But the first step is simply by talking. Intentionally. With a plan that says, I need to get to know this person. You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. 
you're a Jewish man, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Are you kidding me? And you're asking me for a drink? I mean, you almost need to hear, you know, the, the, the angst in her voice. I mean, this is ridiculous. But it doesn't surprise Jesus. It's what he expected. He knew the relationship of Jews and, and, and Samaritans. And so Jesus, it didn't bother him at all. Now, here's the question. How many people do we get in an elevator, in the elevator with? Or how many people do we sit down on the bench with? Or do we see at the dentist's office? Or do we see at church? And we don't even speak to them. I mean, Jesus, if he's anything, is an example of just say hi. In this case, asking her for a drink of water. Jesus met people where they were and it earned him a badge he wore proudly. Jesus knew why she was there in the middle of the day. In fact, if you watch the Chosen episode, and I love it, because she's trying to get away from Jesus. And he says, go call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And then she begins to walk away, and he says, that's right, you've had five of them. And then he begins to call them out name by name. Now, we don't know if he did that. But we know that he knew them. He knew how many. He knew he was living. she was living with a man, not her husband at that time. I guarantee you, he knew everything about the situation. And he knew what kind of woman she was. And he didn't care. Because she needed to hear his story. The Pharisees saw Jesus at Matthew's house, a tax collector, with a lot of other tax collectors and sinners, and says, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I don't know if he did, but I have to think Jesus went and had a little little pennant, you know, that said, friend of tax collectors and sinners that he wore proudly. I mean, just a little button that he pinned on his, you know, his tunic and said, that's who I am. Because everybody who met Jesus knew it. Jesus wasn't afraid to intentionally talk to anyone. Going back to Mark chapter 5, the story of the Gadarean demoniac, this guy comes running down the hill straight at Jesus. I mean, he, by the way, he's not wearing any clothes. Okay? That's one of the things you need to realize. This guy's naked, running straight toward Jesus. Pitiful sight. The disciples, I'm sure, are getting in the boat. They're going, Jesus, you're going with us. We're setting sail right now. And the guy falls right at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, what's your name? And the demons speak. Not the man, the demons speak. We're legion, for we are many. And Jesus says, then you need to come out of it. And that's when he sent them into the pigs. But I mean, even a man possessed by demons, Jesus' first question is a simple question. What's your name? Who are you? And, and that's oftentimes is as simple as it gets. I mean, can I ask you a question? When was the last time you went through a drive-thru and as you was going through the drive-thru, you simply said, hey, and called them by name? By the way, many people wear name tags. They wear them for a reason. Remember their names. It begins as simple as that. How can you ask me for a drink? How can you do that? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus did what he oftentimes did. He simply threw out something that caused her to go, what did you just say? 
Living water, the well is deep. You don't even have anything to draw with. Where in the world are you going to get this living water? We'll talk about how Jesus responded next week. But Jesus intentionally introduces spirituality into the conversation. In other words, he turns it from a conversation about water to a conversation about living water in hopes that he can talk to her about the Holy Spirit, which, of course, is what he ends up talking about. Jesus wants us to introduce spirituality in our conversations. When he sent the apostles, he says, What I tell you in the dark, you speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Don't be afraid. Tell my story. It's that simple. Now, it's a story most people in America have heard little pieces of. But tell them the good parts. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. I always thought this had to do with baptism. You know, if you'll confess me as the Lord in front of people, then I'll acknowledge you. And by the way, it does mean that, but it's more than that. This is about what happens when you're out in the world. We can't hide our Christianity. Now let me say a word about this because, listen, uh, here's a quote from Francis of Assisi. And Francis of Assisi was a revolutionary guy in his day who basically created an incredible revival in Christianity at that time. But oftentimes people will say, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. In other words, live it out so that If you have to, you can actually use words. The only problem with this quote from Francis of Assisi is, it's not true. I mean, you can read all of his writings, you just don't find it. It's not there. It's attributed to him, but it's not there. And and, and I came across an article written about ten years ago called, Works and Words, Why You Can't Preach the Gospel with Deeds. As valuable as deeds are, and, and, and they do sometimes open doors, Dwayne Litton in Christianity Today about 10 years ago said, it's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal. And preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. Put really simple, the story has to be told. And it's the story of Jesus. And Jesus says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden You don't light a lamp and you put it under a bowl, but you put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the room. Brothers and sisters, that old little Christian song we used to sing, this little Christian light of mine, we need to let it shine. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. And it's that simple. So as as we go this week, number one, what do you need to deconstruct? What do you need to tear out? What belief are you holding on to that you need to let go of? Number two, Make a commitment to speak to someone you don't know this week. That simple. I'm not, I'm not saying to them, set up a, a, you know, Jewel Miller film strip, all right? Just meet them. Begin meeting people and getting comfortable introducing yourself to people and getting to know them. And then number three, mention something spiritual. In a conversation at work, with your neighbor, at the gym, Just mention something spiritual. And what I mean by that is something as simple. Hey, at church yesterday, the coffee was good. All right? Now you say, what? That tells them you went to church. Do that. Or or if somebody says, yeah, I've got a loved one sick, I will put them on my prayer list. That lets them know you pray. Just mention something spiritual 
and watch what God will do with it. Brothers and sisters, we can do this. It's not that difficult. We've just got to retrain our thinking and begin being intentional. And God will do the rest. Let's give it a try and let's see what God does. If you have a need today, we have elders who will be in the, both the front and the back uh, lobbies. They have name elders on their name tags. Uh, they're there for you if you've got a prayer request. I'll be down front. Uh, if you'd like to be baptized, just let us know. We had a new baptism uh, this last uh, Wednesday night. Boy, that was exciting. And so if you'd like to be baptized, we would love to honor you with that. Uh, and, and so if you have a need, I'll be down front. Elders will be in the four years. Come right now. Together we stand and sing.